When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey there, welcome to The Tent. I'm your host, Scott Fellman, and it's time for another foray into the world of aquariums from a slightly different perspective. You know, there's something extremely compelling about the water-land relationship that I just can't seem to get enough of when it comes to aquariums. I know we've, we've talked about this so much over the years here, but every time I look at one of these interesting habitats, I'm just excited and inspired. And we're starting to see more and more aquariums representing things like the flooded forests, the swamps, and the wetlands from the underwater perspective. Lots of interesting work with seed pods, branches, and leaves. We've started to really push out that urban agapo idea of creating a wet season, dry season dynamic in our own aquariums using terrestrial plants, soils, and other natural materials. And that's been really rewarding and it's just going to get better and more interesting as we start doing more and more and releasing more and more images and videos and how-tos on how to do that because it's been a lot of, a lot of fun for me and for the crew here at Tannin, and I know a bunch of you have played with that idea and are really enjoying it. And although I think we can and should go a little further with these types of representations, compelling habitats like wetlands and swamps are fascinating subjects for aquariums. And the, here's the funny irony. We tend to represent these unique habitats primarily with paludariums and stuff in our aquarium work. And, and that's really funny because paludariums are just amazing and probably underrepresented, but in this particular genre, the, uh, the land water interface, that's, that's been the whole ball game. And uh, it's kind of fun to see that now we're starting to push back and try some things from the underwater perspective. We tend to not focus totally on the underwater part. And I just think that's really funny. Now, wetlands in and of themselves are, you know, interesting habitats and they include such obsession inducing ecological niches as mangrove swamps, varzea and bogs. Wetlands may be saturated with water seasonally or permanently and are home to aquatic and terrestrial plants. They're among the most biologically diverse of all the ecosystems, and as such, they're really fascinating subjects for aquarium work, right? Of course, because there's a most intimate relationship between water and the surrounding terrestrial environment, it's worth noting that there's a lot of inspiration out there. The water chemistry of wetland habitats is dependent upon the source of the water and the geological material which it flows through such as the aforementioned peat swamps, bogs, or mangrove swamps. The soils support biological activity and diversity within the aquatic ecosystem and provide not only a literal foundation for plant growth, but a zone in which various microorganisms, insects, and other life forms thrive, forming the basis of a food chain. As mentioned you know, previously, many are inundated year-round, although some wetlands are ephemeral in nature, such as the Varzea in South America, or even some of those temporary pools you find in the plains of Africa, which are home to some of our favorite annual killifishes like Nothobranchias and stuff. We've talked about that before too, right? So if you're thinking what I'm thinking, and I know that you are, the fact is there are numerous ways to replicate these environments in the aquarium. You can opt to construct something as faithful to the real thing as possible, trying to be you know, really biologically correct, or you can go with something inspired by these habitats. And I'm playing with something like that in my, you know, brackish water mangrove aquarium. Mangroves are really great plants to play with in such aquariums, especially when we overemphasize the underwater segment, which we've done. 
And of course, there's also those peat swamps from Southeast Asia, which are very interesting and distinct ecological niches. With a little research and the use of the right plants and materials, faithful rep you know, representations of these habitats are totally achievable. And as aquarists, it's fun to emphasize that underwater aspect. Then you have regions in, regions in South America, like the Pantanal, in which many grasses and other plants create a really unique habitat, one that's begging for more representation in the hobby. We've talked a lot about flooded forest floors and inundated meadows in the tropical regions of the world, specifically South America and Southeast Asia. And being terrestrial habitats, these forest floors are often covered with shrubs and grasses, many of which are not typically available in the aquarium hobby. Grasses, such as Paspalum repens, a common species found in South America, and several other grasses are quite abundant in these habitats, and they're most resistant to prolonged submersion. Seeing a formerly terrestrial habitat transformed into an aquatic one is a mouth-watering subject for many hobbyists to replicate in the aquarium, and we can do it with some grasses that are readily available to us. Now, there are species of Paspalum which are available as seed in many parts of the world, particularly North America and Europe, and you absolutely can and should try to grow these and utilize them for the role of generic pentanol grasses or forest grasses in your displays. Many are remarkably tolerant of submersion for brief periods of time. Now, we as hobbyists can do a lot of work to help figure out which terrestrial plants can tolerate, grow, and thrive in underwater submerged or partially submerged conditions. Perhaps a more realistic, not in the hardcore biotope aquarium context, context of course, a more realistic avenue to explore in this regard. And of course, there's trees too. I've seen tanks beautifully replicate this habitat with tree trunks and so forth, with natural branches, wood, and of course, synthetic ones, which are beautiful, but yuck. Now, I know I'm gonna get the hate mail for that, but gosh, come on, there's so many cool natural materials available. And you, you can find these things and utilize them and age them and so forth and before you use them. Uh, synthetic is great, and I think there's a lot of reasons to consider them. I mean, there's ecological reasons and so forth, but when we're talking about a dead branch, I'm, I'm trying to figure out what the impact could be that would be so severe that you'd have to use synthetic. I know, I'm being my own devil's advocate because I can think of dozens, but reality is, I guess I'm a, a sucker for natural stuff. So anyway, bring on the hate mail. <laughs> Speaking of trees, I've got one for you to research. The dominant terrestrial plant in the South American flooded forests is Eugenia inundata. Interesting name, right? Don't think I'm not well underway in my somewhat futile efforts to see if I can secure a supply of some of these leaves. Um, you'll also find a plant called Iriratia setigera. And then there's Socratia exoriza, Moratiella aculata palms in these trees. So in these areas. So these are some interesting species that if you research, you might be able to find some of these in nurseries here in North America and in Europe. You might be able to find these in line as seed. You might be able to find them as ornamental plants. You, you don't know until you look. So get after it, guys. Now, like so many things from the Amazon, it's not easy, read that damn near impossible, to secure botanical materials from this region. So don't hold your breath waiting for the, you know us to start carrying live plants or leaves of, of these things. But you know, there are sources of this stuff legally, and you just have to do a lot of research. That's kind of why we got into this game is because it was hard to secure these things. And that's part of the reason why I tend to be a little harsh on so-called competitors when they're securing items from dubious sources like, you know, craft stores and things like that, because getting it from the actual source is a little trickier, a little better, a little trickier. Anyway, enough of that. Let's get back to what we're talking about here. Um, so those submerged grasses that we see and that we drool over on the underwater picks, again, they're mostly past pollen. 
and Orisia perennius, rice, or a species of rice anyway. And we do have access to some species like sedges and other riparian or semi-aquatic and bog plants from genera that are found in these regions like papyrus, cypress, acarus, and oresias. These are surprisingly popular plants in the hobby, at least in the, the aquascaping and the, um, the vivarium hobby. And for the purpose of recreating one of these seasonally inundated habitats, they're near perfect. Since many of these plants tolerate submersion for extended periods of time, they're of great interest to many of us for use in our aquariums. Of course, part of what interests me is that these are genuinely very hardy plants. Even when they die off and decompose, they form this compelling niche in the underwater environment, a rich, diverse, and productive habitat that has fishes feeding, foraging, spawning, and living among. There are numerous species more commonly available from commercial nurseries in North America and European nations, so creating a realistic representation of these habitats in our aquarium is more attainable than ever before. Again, Acarus is my fave because it's a very diverse plant, very hard to kill, and it can fulfill a variety of roles in this type of aquarium. Now with this in mind, there are also lots and lots of possibilities for creating unique aquatic displays with what I would call aquatic analogs of these grasses and shrubs. In other words, incorporating some true aquatics to replicate the look of the flooded forests and such using representative species. I mean, we're talking about the underwater perspective again, right? So I realize that that's a sort of a cheat, and, and, but when you think about it, it's a pretty good method that can be employed if you want to represent the inundation period from the underwater perspective for the theme of your aquarium and aren't able to secure a growth, you know, the proper terrestrial analogs to the species found in these habitats. The other thing too to, to think about is a true aquatic plants are seldom found in these types of habitats. So you're choosing plants that actually represent terrestrial plants. Does that sound a little confusing? So you're choosing aquatic plants that look like terrestrial grasses and such. And I know a few that can work. I'm thinking about plants like uh, Echinodorus tenellus, the pygmy chain sword, which grows in a sort of grass-like state and is sort of representative of the grasses one might find in the flooded Pantanal or forest floor habitat in South America. Again, you generally will not find this type of plant growing in a, you know, one of these types of transitional habitats, but it looks like that. And it's a little cheap, but we're not trying to enter a authentic, you know, authenticity contest here. We're trying to create something that represents that. So it's kind of the fun of it is you can be a little creative. It's not hard, you know, to cultivate a little section of these plants in your representation of a flooded forest and drop in a few leaves and botanicals and achieve relatively realistic looking um, facsimiles of these flooded grasslands from this underwater perspective. Another great candidate that sort of has that generic tropical terrestrial grass-like appearance would be Cryptocarine parva. This is a diminutive little plant that can be grown submerged. So for semi-flooded agapo or varzea biotype aquariums, it would be really adaptable. And when submerged, it bears a strong resemblance to Paspalum or other tropical submersion-resistant grasses. I know geographic transgressions aside, it's an interesting subject for this type of purpose. I suppose the old fave Sagittaria could be you know, employed for this purpose as well, but some species can get pretty large and ultimately may not be as realistic because they're so darn large. So you need to choose carefully. More exotic but readily available as a tissue culture would be a plant like Liliopsis. Why do I always mispronounce that? Is it Liliopsis? Someone's going to have to correct me on this. Anyway, I think it's going to pronounce Liliopsis mauritania. It's a really pretty species. They call it the microsword, and that's what I know it under. It's like a little grass-like little little plant but there's a lot of aquatic candidates out there and some of them even have you know common names so i don't have to tangle over the latin ones and of course since we're representing a flooded forest floor or a meadow with patchy growth over rich soil and leaves 
you likely don't have to have a full-on green lawn that planted aquarists, you know, love so much. You can leave a lot of soil, a little bit of open space, some twigs, some roots, some bark pieces, a few seed pods, exposed substrate, and you're well on your way to creating a remarkably realistic representation of this. In fact, you can omit the plants altogether and replicate the late season inundation when most of the terrestrial vegetation has either gone dormant or died off. I've done a tank like this, and I've, there's a picture in the blog version of this. One of my favorite tanks I ever did really looked different, very messy and interesting and beautiful. The idea of representing the terrestrial habitats during their submerged phase of the subject of your aquarium is really compelling. There's plenty of room for creativity, experimentation, and yes, breakthroughs. Stay excited, stay inspired, stay creative, stay on top of things, and always stay wet. Until next time, this is Scott from Tenant Aquatics. Thanks for spending part of your day with me, and I look forward to seeing you on the next installment of The Tenant.